Pastels Podcast on Stephen King. Episode two, we will be reviewing the made-for-TV delight that is Balaam's Lot. Yeah, uh, the miniseries. Okay, so I guess let's, uh, let's jump into my segment here. Um, looking at the, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the, you know, the development of the film, you know, I don't know if trivia is the right term, but, you know, whatever. So I think what's, in, what's interesting to note is, you know, we talked about this last time, which was the carry was, while we didn't love it, uh, a very successful adaptation in most, you know, pretty much every sense. Critically, commercially, uh, it was pretty faithful. Um, so it's interesting to note that it's another three years before you see another, before you see an adaptation of Salem's Lot. Um, and, and part of that is because of what will become an issue for, you know, the rest of his career. Uh, the book was a lot longer than, um, than Carrie. And so they had a problem with, reducing the, you know, combining characters and trying to mush it into a two-hour film. Um, and so this is a problem that we're going to see again and again and again. Um, and so that's kind of the reason why it was, you wouldn't say developmental hell, because it was only a couple of years, but um, but it, it, uh, it, it um, eventually emerged as a, as we know, a TV, a TV miniseries. Um, after they tried to do it as a feature film. Um, because by about 1978, The Shining was coming. You know, it was a Stanley Kubrick film, so they probably had a lot of confidence. And so Warner Brothers just dumps it to uh, their TV division. Um, and then you get a guy named Richard Kobritz, who is the producer, and he kind of takes over a lot of the thing he you know so he decides it's going to be a miniseries a four-hour miniseries which really comes to and do about a three-hour film after the hour commercials um and and so eventually you know toby hooper comes on as the director you know and of course the director of texas chainsaw massacre and but it's really unfair because you 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 know you're not going to see any of that because you know TV especially then um, still now to some extent uh, is you know producers and writers are are, are the kings and um, uh, directors are are not and especially then um, and so like yeah Richard Kobritz like I said he casted a lot before Toby Hooper even comes on. You know, so a lot of the cast, you know, he had nothing to do with. Um, and, you know, standards and practices were, you know, much stricter. Um, you know, then, um, you know, even broadcast TV today is still a little bit stricter than Netflix. You know, HBO Max and all the other ones. Um, so anyway, that's the thing I think is, you know, it's Toby Hooper, but it's really not. So you don't really see anything uh, of his, you know... Um, more independent films you don't see any of that style um but uh but yeah and i think one one thing i want to note just because his name is funny um the original the guy who wrote the screenplay for the feature film um sterling silipant or silipant um who i think he wrote in the, in the heat of the night which is you know uh fantastic film um and what is it? They call me Mr. Tubbs. I can't remember, you know, the iconic line from, yeah. Anyway, uh, he wrote that film, and, and but he, you know, it was not a successful uh, adaptation, so eventually it went to TV, like I said. Um, the other thing I'll mention before I kind of wrap up here is uh, when they were, when it was switching, when um, he took a shot at it, and then a couple other people tried to write a version of it before the TV miniseries happened, uh, Larry Cohen... Um, took a pass at it, which is just interesting because it's not Lawrence Cohen, 
not Lawrence Deco, and definitely Lawrence, give him the Deco. Exactly. It's not you know. So it, it it's just you know. But it would be. I think it would be interesting. I would sort of kill to see what Larry Cohen's version of that. I mean, it probably would. It's, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this Larry Cohen is the trauma like, guy, right? The guy yeah, like it's, it's alive and like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's you know, it, it's a very. Um, more like exploitation drive-in kind of guy and they, they probably would have never made that kind of movie but that would be a really um, interesting just to see um, and that's pretty much it uh, you know, you know uh, Paul Monash the character producer wrote the script and uh, that's you know one of the few um, crossover talents to both and that's yeah, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to mention. Just to piggyback your strange name thing, I think we'd be doing the world a disservice if we didn't also inform them that the score for Salem's Lot, actually pretty good score overall, being made for TV movie, yeah. was done by a legendary television composer, Harry Suckman. That's Harrison Soup Mom to it's, you. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. We really have no idea, Suckman. but you know, they're probably going to try to... I'm sure it's probably not pronounced Suckman, but that's the way that it's spelled, and Harry Suckman is a funny-ass name. I mean, yeah, you know, if you had somebody that looked like they had the last name Dildo, it'd be like, this is, you know, Dialdo or something, you know. Uh, I feel (laughs) like there is a very, very obvious example of that in history, and I cannot... I know, I was thinking right now. Yeah, yeah. so, anyway, uh, let's... um, here we go. Are we jump right in with our points, or get your yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, overall, of course, I'll give a rating later. Uh, overall, I can't say I was a fan, uh, which I think is going to unfortunately be kind of a trend of the early movies. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but uh, okay. uh, it starts off with a trope that I'm very much not a fan of. Uh, uh, to quote Rick and Morty, uh, not a big fan of the you know two years later thing. We should, we should start our we start our stories end. where where they begin. Uh, so I've, I've never been a fan of that, and the fact that it's just this very vague, like weird entrance in this church in Mexico for some reason. Yeah, I wrote the note. Starts in Guatemala. But yeah. you didn't expect that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's in some weird church instead of... And it's just this very small scene. And then what set me off from that is that for the next... In the first minute, there is just one piece of dialogue. And then for the next five and a half minutes of the whole movie, it's just music and noises. There is no more dialogue until you get to six minutes and 40 seconds into the movie. <laughs> it's just like, I don't yeah, know none at all. Uh, it, it, just, it just stood out to me that it was very weird that this is like, nope, there's just Harry Suckman's music. Uh, but yeah, uh, that, was, that was definitely the first thing that I noticed. I wasn't really a big fan of that. Yeah, that was my first note was, yeah, starts in Guatemala. Um, and, and I think it is pretty much straight up from the book. Uh, you know, the book starts off with... Um, One thing I did notice, and I'm not sure which way around it is, but for some reason in the movie it's in Guatemala, but in the book it's Mexico. Yeah, I think I, I think that which is one of those weird differences. I don't, I don't know why, why they did that, you know. Um but yeah, I mean, but I think it is. I think the book starts off with something like uh, people thought the man and the boy were, you know, father and son, or or something random like that. And so yeah, it starts at at, at the end, um, and is it is kind of weird. I don't know if it really does much for the story, but um, but yeah, and I think um, oh yeah, this is just a random note, but I think they said I, I wrote that uh, the kid's face I think is supposed to be tanned because. You know, they're down there, and I think they're they're on the run, and, and you know, they're trying to hide. But I'm like, he just looks dirty. He just I, looks like... I was dirty. not aware he was supposed to be tan. I just assumed I, he was dirty. I think because of, you know, because of that whole thing. Um, but I could be wrong. I guess both could be true, you know. Yeah, you can be tan uh, and dirty. Yeah, you know, it's, it's true. You know, it's, uh, yeah, not mutually exclusive. But, uh, yeah, so that was... Um, that sort of lighthearted note to start off with. Well, what do you, what do you, what else you got? Uh, other things that just pop out at the beginning of the movie until we get into like kind of more of the soul of the movie. The pacing and the dialogue is really bad. Uh, the first cut of the city is this weird metallic sculpture inside of a window. 
that's never seen again in the rest of the movie, but they made a point to make it a focal point at the beginning of the movie. Right, and same with come back again, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then just, like, the pacing and the way that they, everybody talks to each other is very weird. Uh, I'm a fan of Fred Ward as an actor, but he's really bad in this movie. Is it Fred Ward? I was thinking Fred Willard. Is it Fred Willard? Both of I them are people. No, Fred Willard, I think, is the dude from Tremors. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, and Fred Ward is the dude okay. that's in this. And also is the guy who tells Ross's monkey dance. It's funny because I said uh, Fred fucking Willard. And, and I'm like, yeah, I have to fucking backwards. But like, great, but apparently not even in the suit. He's great. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. Uh, uh, me. You know, one of us, one of us is right. Um, one of us is right. That's or both are. This is be like a Bob Eubank situation. Who the fuck is Bob? <laughs> I remembered at some point, but uh, the newlywed game. I mean, it's not the post yet. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> I yeah. Uh, that's a bit of that's a bit of personal trivia for the listeners at home. Hold on, we're fact checking ourselves right now. Um, I'm concerned about names. Hold on. Uh, whether it be Ward or Willard, he's not very good in this movie, but he's a good actor otherwise. Right. And I feel like it's Willard, I think, that just died a year or two ago, or time flies, it's going to be five years ago. Oh uh, my god, it's Fred Willard, you are right. There we go. That is his name, and he died in 2020. So, that's the Willard. next question, who is Fred Ward? Uh, well, I think he's the guy from Tremors. Yeah, no, he I think you're right. The guy yeah, yeah, you're that's right. Fred Ward. I just had them backwards. Yep. He also died last year. Maybe they okay. Willard and Ward are both dead. They, okay. Well, all right, Pete, all over the board. I don't know if I realized there was two. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Do you have anything else in the early movie? Because all my notes jump straight to when he uh, uh, I'm gonna Yeah, I'm going to go with a, another uh, lighthearted note or two, okay. which is, I don't even know why I wrote Wolf Howl and Full Moon over Marston House. I don't know if that's because I was like... This is not a werewolf movie. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure why I wrote that note, but I'm guessing something like that. And then Blazer and Bell Bottom ish looks for David Soul, who plays um, Ben. Uh, why can't I think of his last Mears. name? Ben Mears. Um, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't love him for this for this role. And I don't know if it's just how he looks. But I'll be honest, I feel like part of it is. But anyway, let's, uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, we can kind of probably, um, yeah, jump in with a more in-depth analysis. My next two points are also pretty lighthearted. Okay. But I think that that's kind of a thing with this movie. Like, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's a vague romantic comedy until the last hour of the movie. I mean, yeah, maybe there's not a lot of interest. Yeah, it's so <laughs> like get in depth about. Uh, when Ben Mears happens upon this, maybe this this one you'll have to set me up. Stumbled upon Bonnie Bedelia's character. What is her name? Um, Susan. Susan. Yeah. Um, he notices that she has her book. So two different things with that, right? Air dance. So it, he, he, she's reading his book, but she has stopped in the middle of reading his book to uh, draw a picture of all things of a pineapple. It's a fucking pineapple. So wait, she, she draws a pineapple? Yeah. yeah. The drawing that she has, that she was working on, that she sets down next to the book when she starts talking to him, is of a pineapple. I mean, it's, she's she's sitting in the weirdness in the wilderness of upstate Maine. I mean, it's an exotic fruit from you know the small town of you know uh, whatever uh, in so rural Maine. I found that odd, but then also Ben Mears' attitude of "You're reading my book, you must want to smash." At first, it yeah. got very weird until five minutes later, she makes it very clear that she is in fact gay. Oh yeah, okay, I, okay. I'm gonna jump on that because I have a note. Um, Okay, here's a quote. There's the Dell, the movies and banger, and there's the lake. Susan wants to go to the lake. And that's right after, that's like not long after they meet. Yep. Susan's ready to go. Yep, yep, no, that's like, I, I, I remember just being like, man, the, the 70s, toxic masculinity. That's how it worked. <laughs> and the toxic masculinity, and then, and then she, that, that it's true. His assumption, his assumption that she must want to since she's reading his book, it was one hundred percent true. I think Stephen King fantasy, maybe I don't know. Maybe, hey babe, maybe read my because <laughs> he was still writing this when he was not he was not famous. Mm-hmm. It was in there was a period of time when Carrie was being, I think it sold as a hardcover, maybe which it was not a success in hardcover, it was success 
in uh, paperback. And so, yeah, he was still writing Salem's Lot when he was still not Stephen King. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to say maybe. I can't remember for sure, but the original Jerusalem's Lot wasn't one of the ones like Children of the Corn that originally debuted in a nudie mag. But yeah, it was a short story. Yeah, probably. I think so. I, think, I know Children of the Corn. Was a lot of, yeah. I, I think Adam and Dude, I remember a couple of the names yeah. they said. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, yeah, there's a strong possibility half of those. I remember, yeah, he talks about when he was cutting them out for his family or something. He had to cut out, like, the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, so, yeah. yeah, I don't think you see that as much anymore. I read it for the fake, uh, the original and, fiction. And yes, yes. <laughs> Probably, I have the penthouse. I think it's it's either penthouse or hot. Sorry, I can't remember. I have it on my like wish list on Amazon. And like four Christmases ago, I just I, I, my mom's like, "What do you want for Christmas?" And I sent just sent her the wish list. I'm like, "There's a ton of stuff on here and a bunch of price points." And she and then she's just like, "Why are you asking me to buy you porn?" <laughs> but guys, she's a cool mom. She's not that cool. <laughs> I just wanted her the article this time, and I mean that. <laughs> it's 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 a it's it's a like Jesus. You're 33. Come on. It's a penthouse. <laughs> it's a penthouse from the 80s. Nobody wants to look at anything that is in that anymore. <laughs> What was the story? Something like that. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, okay, yeah. So Susan. Susan at the lake. I think Air Dance is the book. And yeah. yeah, I think... I don't know if the book just handles it better. I mean, there's a good chance. But it's, it, is, it is a weird scene. And you're right. That is kind of something... It's like a meet, meet cute. I mean, totally. Yeah. Uh, out, out, of a, out of a rom-com or something. Um... And to be yeah. back on that too, I have one of my next notes is not scary yet. No, <laughs> and maybe not ever. No. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, okay, this is not this is not a note that I had, um, uh, but because we're realizing maybe now there's not a whole lot of in depth analysis ever coming. Uh, maybe. Um, but I gotta say, like, this, and I mentioned this in, I don't know, the episode zero teaser, maybe, uh, Salem Plot was my first favorite Stephen King book. I mean, it just instantly, I did not like Carrie, um, but Salem's Lot just launched me right into the Stephen King, uh, you know, universe, and it's, like he said, it's, it's, uh, Dracula in a small New England town. That was the whole genesis of the idea, was what if Dracula came to Maine? Um, and it's just, and so it would be easy to use that, that structure. And, and this is something that, okay, this is getting to the end, but the style of vampire they have, you know, they go for the Nosferatu look, which is just, it's just a mistake because it's more, you know, I mean, it's not even that fleshed out in the novel, I don't think either, but it's, you know, more of that classic Dracula feel. It's just not Nosferatu who's like a monster. And I just, I, you know, so anyway, I feel like it's a disappointment because Drac- I, I love Dracula, the novel, and I love this novel. And it's like, you could just, I don't know, it could just be handled so much better. And it has yet to be done so, but that's getting out of the game. But For sure, and like, I'm, I'm gonna jump ahead of a couple of the other points I wanna talk to, just because you mentioned that, and we'll get back to it, but the book has dialogue for the character, um, what, Barlow. Right, right, uh, the dialogue right for Barlow, man. And uh, uh, I think, not even just the Nosferatu look, the blue skin, Oh yeah, not at all anything in vampiric lore. The very obvious prosthetic teeth. Yeah, uh, it's just altogether poorly done. And then mostly the fact that all that Barlow does is make hisses and shrieks. Yeah, that's and that's a note that I think I had was just so much build up, and then I think it's I don't know, maybe I didn't write a note about it, but it, I mean, yeah, it's not even that. It's such a letdown. Um, yeah, it's such a. I think animalistic is sort of a, a word that I used, and and yeah. So I guess we're kind of jumping in there, but that was that was a real, real disappointment. But but to be fair, it's not as much of a problem because he doesn't come in until like almost the end. So I mean, it's real. It's different than Dracula in that way, I guess, because it's it's 
almost all build up to him coming. You know, instead of Dracula, where he's there at the beginning, mm-hmm. John Harker goes to the, you know, and so it is different that way, but anyway. Side note, really quick, have you seen previews for The Last Voyage of the Demeter yet? Yes, I said that. I went and saw Redfield, oh, which I, I liked, see that. and I was like, I'm seeing a Dracula adjacent film, and uh, seeing a Dracula adjacent, I definitely, and that's the thing, a very Dracula adjacent mm-hmm. uh, film, which I gotta say, jumping on this for a minute, like, I don't know if they're gonna handle it well, but a fantastic idea, which is, let's just take the voyage from yeah. Transylvania to um, not America, uh, London, mm-hmm. you know, England, and and let's just look at that because what a fantastic... It's literally taking it's, what is, I think they said, a seven-page chapter in the original yeah. book and turning it into a whole movie. And there's just so many possibilities just with the suspense that you could do. It. Oh, yeah, because yeah. you know it's going to happen, but that's the thing is you get to the end and everyone's dead and I think the captain's tied to the wheel mm-hmm. and there's like a journal entry and it talks about like slowly you know you know this monster that comes at night and you're like that in itself is like perfect length for a movie and so mm-hmm. anyway that's not like a two side track but right. yes okay. it's very cool back to the matter at hand uh movie definitely has a uh a point that i think makes any movie a bad movie and they kill the dog they kill, kill the dog them. yeah and also they kill the dog at halloween no. very graphic dead dog it's funny because that. And oh yeah, really no, it does. That's they right. don't even utilize for anything. Like the, the weirdest part to me is this very graphic dead dog dies. But the, according to the rest, fence, yeah, right? the fence, yeah. but According to the rest of the movie, Barlow's not even there yet. They're still picking him up. Who killed the fucking dog? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, maybe you're right. Because remember, what, when one of the guys that's supposed to is is the guy who's the graveyard watchman, but the dude who's yeah. trying to catch his wife cheating is yeah. watching while he goes to go pick up Barlow and that's when the dog gets killed. Yeah, you're right. So we killed the dog. Yeah, that is, I mean, yeah, no, because I'm thinking, oh, maybe what's-his-name is killing for him, but no, I don't think that's... He doesn't. Though. Yeah, and also, why would you kill a dog? Yeah, the family? Like, so, apparently like somebody... An appetizer at best. Uh, I was watching something that was talking about, like, it was like a review, a different review of the movie, and somebody was just doing what we're doing. Uh, but somebody's uh, done this before. Yeah, no, weird, right? We did not come up with it. Uh, but uh, was talking about in the book they describe the death of the dog on the grounds as causing the hollow ground to not be hollowed anymore. This is not portrayed in the movie whatsoever. Right? Just, somebody killed the dog for no reason. Yeah, it's such a yeah, it's such a you know. Although they killed the dog in uh, in Halloween, but you just hear it. And I think you forget that it even really happened. Yeah, I think that I think that's the difference. It's the difference between seeing the dead dog and knowing right. that the dog died. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's fine. Yeah. Although you know the dog's not really a major player, but um, you, at yeah. this point you're starting to see something maybe happening. Nothing really horror centric has happened yet. But again, on something lighthearted. Well, not really necessarily lighthearted, but just amusing to me. Is, uh, the line, the house attracts evil men. Why did it attract me? Delivered by Ben Mears, uh, David's soul, in a way that kind of sounds a little bit more like he wants to buff that. Oh my god, I feel like, I feel like, maybe I didn't, I feel like I wrote that down. That same, but yeah, no, yeah. I, oh, I swear that I wrote this down. Um, yeah, but anyway, no, go on, because I feel like I'm just looking here. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, uh, one thing that you start to notice a lot that is happens throughout the movie that you can give, I guess, a pass to because it's made for TV, but, like, at this point and then throughout the rest of the movie, it becomes very obvious when all when the commercials are because it freeze frames every single time the scene freeze frames and oh. blacks out. And oh, then yeah. the movie's somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, every, it's kind of becomes very obvious where the commercials are. And it oh, makes the yeah. rewatching of the movie very short. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, that's what I wrote somewhere. It's two hours and 20 minutes in. Uh, I said it's still going to feel rushed at three hours. And that's the thing. I mean, and that's at the end again. But that's the thing. is, It's 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 three hours long, you know. And it to me, it still feels rushed. It still doesn't feel, you know. And I think that part of it is he's got much longer books. But there's a lot of characters. And I feel like there's even still a lot of characters in 
this version, and that's with like half the characters combined. Yeah, you know, and, and I feel like they do an okay version with combining characters, but um, it still kind of feels rushed. And I think now you would get—I don't know if you need like a ten episode series, but a six or a seven, six episode, you know, like Netflix, HBO Max, like that would be. Perfect. Uh, I'm curious about this uh, movie that seems to never be coming out, but yeah. yeah, I have qualms with even the idea of a miniseries now. Just in my sight, how poorly the stand was handled. I just think that the longer Stephen although, King books aren't translatable. Although to be fair, it's it's it was CBS, but right. yeah, but still, it was not. It was it was it was not. It was not good. It was not and, good. Uh, oh God! I mean, we can't get on the stand too much, but I got to say, like the the. Okay, Ben Affleck when he was he was on a roll for a while and then he had that one movie that didn't do so well. Um, but anyway, he, he, in the middle of that, like ten years ago, something like that, he was going to do a trilogy of The Stand, and he said, "American Lord of the Rings." And I'm like, "This guy gets it." And a trilogy is perfect. Like, I mean, even if it's just two hours, like three two-hour films. I mean, they might have been more like. I mean, if it's Lord of the Rings, it might be like three three-hour films, but. Oh, that would have been so perfect. And then it's just, it just winds up being another fucking TV, TV series. At least the first one was directed by George Romero, you know, but, uh, the Sanders. Yeah, I think so. Somehow I didn't double check that. Uh, you know, if anyone wants to get fact checks, whatever, but I'm pretty sure, which again, kind of goes, I don't know why I thought the standard was another one of the Mick Garris ones. I think I could be wrong. I feel like that was, Right, at, I think Mick Garrett is the first one he does is um, the original theatrical film that Stephen King wrote. What the frick is it called? That's uh, uh, not based on any other property. Um, the Cat One, Sleepwalkers. I think that's I know the he one. does do that. I think I clicked on. The I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like I, I feel like that's the last one that's not. I feel like that's the last yeah. one. Series not. directed by Mick Garrett. Yeah, the original stand. The, what was I? Oh, you know, no, no, okay, that's right. He was, that's right, it was one of those developmental things where George Romero was going to, no, does he write, does he direct the dark half? You should check me on that. I feel like he directed, I, think, I feel like George I feel Romero like directed directs something. In- I feel like he directed something on Stephen King. Yeah, you're right, that was Mick Bear. I, I think he was going to direct The Stand, that's right. Um, and then it wound up being a TV miniseries. And then you had another really good director, Ben Affleck's a good director, I don't care what people might say. Um... And then it just descends into, you know... I mean, I get that it's long, but... Yeah. Director Creepshow 2 in the dark half. Yes, okay. There we go. There we go. Uh, anyway, okay. I guess let's circle back, because I don't want to get off the stand too much, but... It's awesome. Yeah, we, we, we got a bit rubbed this episode, but it, it's okay. Because I, I, I'm finding now that I, there's not really as much to say as I thought yeah, like, was going to be. I like um, I'm less. Looking through my notes, too, I'm just going to breathe through, through <laughs> a couple of things. Um, and some of them are just, like, mildly irritating things just because there's such a wealth of vampire lore right. to do things that... Well, aren't. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird to me. Uh, I put specifically because I was tracking timing and everything. This would be as noted by the fact that I noticed that there were five and a half whole minutes of no dialogue at the beginning of the movie. One hour and six minutes into the movie is when we have the very iconic boy floating in front of the window. Right, That's the right. first time. One hour and one six movie. minutes into the movie is the first time it feels like it's a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. And so, it's a great thing. And I yeah. think, like, like your point with it's like there's not enough time. You know, that I, I feel like the reason why it's not enough time is they spent so much. They spent more time than they needed to on the early relationships. Yeah, I don't think that as much time needs to be set on like the Ben Mears, Susan and Susan family thing and all the other like characters. Like I understand that it's a very character heavy plot, but yeah, I really don't think to make a valuable adaptation that the uh, real estate agent, the cheating wife and the husband need to be included in it at all. I don't think they drive the overall story at all. I think what they do, and the reason why it probably works in the book, is they flesh out the the people who live, the residents, the community of Salem's Lot. But from a film perspective, it doesn't do anything to move the story. Well, and you know, what's funny is that, yeah, there's the whole, um, yeah, there's the guy that 
winds up threatening to kill him, and the, the uh, bon, Bonnie, I think is the wife, Bonnie Sawyer, something like that. Um, a, a, anyway, in the book, there, there's her, there's the real estate agent guy, but he's completely separate. He's not having an affair, but there's like a, a like an electrician repairman or something that's working at our house, and they're having the affair. And so, it, in the but the point is, in the miniseries, it it is condensed, mm-hmm. but it's like sure. you're right, it is kind of not. Enough. Enough. Because sure, they cut out characters, but they still kept the plot line in, and the plot line doesn't do anything to the overall story. It's not even condensing. I I think you're right. It doesn't really even need to be there because they don't pay it off much at all. At all. And you don't, you don't, after the scene in which the husband compliments Fred Willard's underwear before kicking him out (laughs) of the house, and then pulling the gun. And, and, like, obviously off-screen beating his wife because you hear the screams but don't see anything. Right. You never hear from those two specific characters, the wife and the che- the, cheating, the husband and the cheating wife. You don't see them the rest of the movie. Yeah, no, I and mean, it doesn't really... Bonnie story, yeah, I wrote it down. Oh, that was the one I said. It's the most different than what I imagined. And the only thing I can think of is maybe... I, I You know, I feel like she was supposed to be, like... You know, very attractive or something. And I don't know. She, I don't know. Anyway. The, the, but, the other characters make... Mention, I forget what they call her, especially because Bonnie isn't rhyming with anything to me. But they have like a rhyming thing that they call her that uh-huh. suggests uh, the town slut. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I can't remember. So, like, everybody but the husband knows that she's creeping all the time. Yeah, so, all that does in in a book, it would make sense to kind of like flesh out the people who live here just to get a better picture of Salem's lot. But in a movie, it just does not. Yeah, and I think in the book, it's more like. Um, it's, it's more like she's, she's neglected, he's abusive, like maybe verbally abusive, and, and, and there's this guy who's like working on the house or something, and, and it's like, it, she's more, she's more of the neglected housewife and things like that, as opposed to like, yeah, the town, the town harlot or whatever, but, but that was the quote that I had, um, there's the mover guys that are there, that, that come and, and then he's got the gun when they come in the house, and he says... What would you do if you had a 12 gauge sitting in your garage? And I said, two mover guys are, oh, that's right, God, I have all the other side here, uh, are super casual. Oh, ladies, look at you. Yeah, I had a, yeah, but the mover guys were super casual about this guy maybe about to kill his wife. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, it's, it's boom, boom, body. Boom, boom, That's body. what it is. Yeah, I wrote it down. Oh, yeah, I did write it. Um, <laughs> but I wrote it a little differently. The, if, the house attacked evil men, and why did it attract me? Yeah. But I, before that, Matt, Matt and Ben. But I wrote, I wrote it is Matt Burke in one scene, but then complained with Jason Burke in another. So I don't know which See, side. That was the thing for me too, because at one point in time I felt like I got confused because I, I'm like, I, I'm wondering if they used both names. I, I, I'm like, am I just? You should check this because, because um, I swear it said Jason at some point. Which should be weird, but uh, later in the movie they definitely. But it says. Jason. But I wrote Matt and Ben talking in the restaurant about seeing Ghost Ultimate Evil, and I was like, I felt like this was a good scene, um, and I mean for what it is. But I, yeah, I thought that was. And then the other scene, I will say that felt like a, a classic um, horror scene is oh yeah but no later i wrote matt burke is jason burke now why so i feel like it is jason but um but anyway there's another scene where it's the moving it's where they have they have um uh is it straker straker Straker. (laughs) so he's his coffin's in there it's after they picked him up and he starts to move around and i don't remember where my note is um, but anyway, he's in the back, and he, you know he starts to move around, and you know things things go wrong. It's you know they're both sitting in the front, and they're like, "Gee, what's going on back there?" It's something that um, it's something that I've seen. Like they do it. There's creep show or something. They do it when it's in a plane. I think it's the same thing. It's like a cargo, you know. So it's kind of a trope, but that felt like a pretty good scene, um, and it just felt like like you said the the scene where the kid floats up to the, that feels like a classic horror scene, and I feel like that feels like a a pretty classic horror scene too. Yeah, the coffin right again. Yeah, three points for me uh, that that are the ones I was talking about with uh, uh, not really uh, van- vampire tropes that are just used in this. Uh, suggesting that vampires are telekinetic. Mm-hmm. When we first actually see Barlow on screen in Mark's house, 
he comes apparently flying through a window is what he's doing, but all of these things off the walls, things go flying all around just because he entered the scene. Right. Like, that's yeah. not a vampire thing. Um, the use of the tongue depressor cross on the woman that comes alive in the uh, morgue. Oh, and just puts the two oh tongue yeah. Together. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Uh, and then also that it does work, and that w- the way it works is she just disappears. Apparently in the world of Salem Slot, vampires just disappear when you destroy them. Yeah, sure. That's that's how it works. Yeah. Um, um, okay, I have to say this note, and I don't even remember right now who Larry is. Oh, I think it's Larry Crockett. I think he's the uh, real estate guy, I think. Is that Larry? I don't even remember. Doesn't really matter, but I just wrote, Larry goes from almost being shot in the face, that's right, to escaping and running right into a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that one, I believe that's that's that yes, that's right where I noticed where the screen where the freeze frames got so obvious for me as the commercials. Yeah. Because he runs and literally you just get a and it's Barlow and it freezes on his frame and face and then goes flat. Yeah, yeah, that oh yeah, and that's what I said. I said hardly any there's hardly any blood sucking, it's cutaways every time. So I think we're making a very similar note there. Um yeah, and then, okay, Danny Glick, which is one of the kids. I don't remember if he's the floating kid or the... No, there's the friend. Anyway. He's the in the brothers yeah. are both of the flo- floating boys. Right, that's right. The first floating boy is on the older Glick brother, and right. the older Glick brother floating boy is the one on Mark. Right, yeah, and then Mark's the one, and yeah. Yep, and then yeah. Mark's the horror-obsessed kid who gets vaguely adopted by Ben Mears. By the Tongue Depressor Cross makes Lady Vampire disappear. Yep. Okay. Oh That's my god. I, I totally forgot about that, but yeah. That's what Same note. That's funny. Yeah. Um, because, let's be real, I watched this last August, I think. And so, uh, once we get to The Shining, that will stop happening, I think. But it's kind of fun to watch this and then nine months later try to remember everything. Yeah, I remember what the hell, hell you were talking about. about. That is uh, definitely the way I felt about Carrie, and especially because when I wrote the notes for Carrie, I was pretty drunk. So, like, at one point, my notes just say, JT sucks, poo So I feel like you should keep doing that. Um, you know. Um, oh, yeah, but anyway, it's the grave keeper, whatever, whatever you call him. Uh, you know, and the, the, the so guy the kid, walks over the grave, yeah. Yeah, so the kid's in the grave. The guy whose dog got killed. And he, yeah, exactly. And he just, I said, guy just kind of stands there and lets himself get sucked, yeah. which doesn't sound good. <laughs> the way you put it, that, that is kind of what a guy would do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, it's one of those things where you're like, where like, you know, a monster's chasing somebody and you're like, Oh no, I'm good. You know, and it's like, yeah. you could have got away, it, it, it feels like, but. Uh, yeah, okay, so um, one thing, okay, this is a lighthearted thing that I could have said earlier, but I'm tired, I'm going to get a cup of coffee and get some sleep. I'm like, what the fuck is that? What, that's you know, the order, man. It's you a, get a cup of coffee and then you take you know, a nap. I guess if you have ADHD, maybe that's what, yeah. that's kind of how it works, but uh, I mean, oh, you know, on the note of, you know, Mark being uh, obsessed with monsters and things like that. I, I said Frankenstein poster on his wall, monster mask. I said, very awesome. I said, it makes me think of Marshall's room in Under Wraps, which is maybe the coolest room. Uh, you know, 90s kids had the room coolest movies. Super like, cool. Tell me you didn't want Arnold's room from there. Right. I mean, it's like, and, and, and yeah, so can't get Under Wraps. But, you know, like, Mark has super cool, you know, things that I wanted, but my kids were like, oh, my kids, my parents were like, why do you like this stuff? Why do you like this thing? You saying that is funny, because it piggybacks on a thing that I was just thinking about that's like, the way his parents react, like, that's the weirdest thing in a world to be like, why do you like this? Yeah. At your kid, because he likes horror movies, and it's like, he's sitting there, like, building complex models and, like, masks and shit he right? can make money off of, and you're just ashamed he's not playing baseball. Right? I know. Shit. It's, like, but you it's know, it's the funny. weirdest, why are you like this moment I've and, ever seen. You know, okay, and again, just to go on this is a moment, this is something we'll do in a couple episodes, but Creep Show, I mean, that's the whole wraparound story, is that he likes horror comics. Mm-hmm. Joe Hill, by the way. But but anyway, um, he likes horror comics and, and the dad, which I, he killed the dad, I think, in the end. But, uh, but yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's a trope, but also it was true. It was, you know, I mean, um, anyway, you know, so I, I thought that was interesting. Um, and 
I don't know. I mean, there was more bad casting. I felt like Father Callahan was bad casting. Um, I'm going to blame this probably on Richard Gilberts, the guy who did a lot of casting before <laughs> Toby. I mean, Toby Gilbert just becomes a higher gun. I mean, it could have been like anybody, and it would probably have been about the same. So, yeah, sure. Who knows? I mean, a couple of those really good scenes. I mean, like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe if Toby Hoover wasn't wasn't there, but. Yeah, I some of this. I think I think some of the iconic horror scenes, like like the, the kid floating in front of the window, definitely feels like a Toby Hooper move to me. Yeah. So I think that there's things from and the effect of it is cool. Is shooting yeah. it in reverse? It's yep. kind of creepy. Yep. So I, I I you know, and I have to say, um, you know, this is a this is a uh, not a personal note, but but um, uh, this was kind of a weird fear that I have, which is. Some as a kid, like something outside my window, and like opening your curtains, and there just being somebody's face right there. And uh, I had a house, the Nichols house. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a house. I had a, and then I had a, had a bedroom on the second floor. And uh, you know, so one of my windows was was you know overlooking the the yard, and so it was just a straight drop down. So theoretically, nobody's going to be outside your window and the other one was um on the it wasn't a deck but basically a deck it's kind of a balcony yeah, so the, the, yeah a balcony yeah, sort of thing went across that whole side and of so somebody definitely could have been there but i remember being afraid of like in, in like seeing a face there but i'm thinking now hey, that would be like the floating i mean that would be like the, the floating, floating scene it was like that wasn't kind of a fear you that i had more so especially from that bedroom would have had more of like a halloween scenario where like outside and there's just some dude standing there staring up at your window see that's the yeah. thing on that side of it yeah. right there could be somebody right there and that was always a so i think that also kind of sits with me because that was a just you know a face at the window that was just like that was just like a, i don't know you know just opening your curtain door so uh, yeah, I thought that was a good scene. Definitely an iconic scene. Um, I only have one more note for this movie. Like I would say, overall, fairly innocuous. Like there's nothing really remarkable about the movie. Uh, yep. Um, but uh, the the thing that's kind of stuck with me about close uh, there close to the end of the movie before they go to you know Guatemala for some reason. <laughs> that's Guatemala. right. But. After they after he killed Barlow and they lock the other vampires away, another very largely utilized uh, vampire trope that's not in this movie is usually when you kill the host, the other people are okay. Yeah, but true. instead everyone's yeah. still vampires and they burn down the house. And the thing that got me the most is. Uh, he didn't even, before just letting, getting out with the kid and letting the house burn to the ground, he doesn't even try to look for Susan. He's like, well, right. bitch is dead now. Yeah. She wasn't. I mean, uh, and, yeah. then she just, and then even though she's inside this burning down house, she just reappears in Guatemala for some reason. And that's why they go there, to kill her. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's a very bad plot hole that yeah, I hope I was like, described better in the book. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's even in the book. Because in because Susan is obviously a much more fleshed out character. Sure. And, she's it, not, and the relationship know. is also more fleshed out. And be, where it's more, it's more tragic because I don't, they probably mentioned this in the adaptation, but, you know, his wife has died they a year that. or two earlier. Yep. And because I think it I think it says it on the jacket cover. She thinks that he's married. And, yeah. And she know, mentioned something about it. it. Yeah. And so anyway, his wife has died. And so he's kind of, you know, he's he's come he's come to town because of the experience that he had at the Marston house when he was younger. Don't even know if they mentioned this about seeing the seeing the dead body there and he's I don't know if he's coming there for closure or something like that. But then also like he you know, he's learning to, to love again and do the whole thing and, you know, doing a really good love story. And, and so it's more tragic when she dies. I don't think I mean, maybe they, maybe she goes down to Guatemala, and that's what they're doing down there. I don't so remember. In, but in, and I <laughs> will go over this, but I watched a little. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched a little like cut scenes from it, like best parts of the uh, um, Rob Lowe two thousand four one. Right, right. And in that one, uh, the Ben Mears character has to kill Susan because she's trying to bite and turn 
Mark. Oh yeah, I think and that's, I'm wondering what, if that's. I, I would, think I that's, what that's more what's in the book. Yeah, another thing. I think that is, which is a much more powerful. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that's killing it. her two years later for some reason in Guatemala. Yeah, when she should have died in the house that was burning down. And that's the thing. They could have cut. Yeah, that sort of wraparound thing. Yeah. They, they they could have, because I don't remember if this if they even do this. I don't think they do. But in the book, they they you know Mark and and Ben they leave the town, and the town is overrun with i mean it's like it, it's like they kill yeah they kill part of the horse striker which everyone's back Bar- i remember yeah Bar- and striker's the yeah, European dude. right and so like they so the town's like overrun so it's like he wins in a sense and um but later they come back in like august in like the height of summer and they just light up the town which is you know again like uh well, this is getting ahead of the curve, I guess, but the explosion of the Overlook, uh, it, you know, it, have to wait it, until the, next week. you know, but, but yeah, you know, wait, <laughs> wait until the next time. But, um, but anyway, it's like, you know, the whole town going up in flames is, is a great ending, but, um, I don't know. That's, that's pretty much most of that. And so I don't know anything further on the pop culture uh, I, I would tell you, like, I was really bummed to find out, like, really not a lot of pop culture connections. That's what I was thinking. Uh, the line, like, I, at a point, because I couldn't find anything, I took to writing down other things I liked that these actors were in. Of course, Bonnie Bedelia, probably what most people know of her, that she's uh, Jonathan's wife in the Die Hard movies. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, the guy who plays the... Grave Digger dude was in an episode of The X Files. Um, the guy, the woman who plays Susan's mom, was the mom in Wings. She's in like one episode. So I took to that for for a moment. Uh, I unfortunately, sure, I unfortunately couldn't connect it to wrestling or really music. The only music what? thing that I can find is there's a track called Salem's Lot by some weird Japanese band called Hoji Kaido. I didn't listen to it because it's probably not good, but who knows? Yeah, um, and then other than that, what should probably much like kind of carry what shouldn't surprise everything anyone is the most used thing is the most iconic thing. Carrie, the, the prom queen and Carrie, and in this, it's the uh, vampire floating in front of the win- window. Oh, for sure. It's been done in a ton of cartoons and TV shows. In my opinion, most hilariously and notably in uh, South Park, mm-hmm. in the. Uh, I think it's Twilight of the Goth Kids is the name of it, and they're like feuding with these band kids, but then they also notice that, uh, or it's Goth Kids 3, I can't remember. It's one of the Goth Kid episodes, but they have to side, they have to team up with the vampire kids that specifically is just a jab at Twilight to, uh, because one of the Goth Kids got turned into an emo kid. <laughs> And so there's this scene where the vampire kid leader looks like he's hovering in front of the window looking at the the goth kid turned emo kid hanging out with her new emo friends. And then it pans back and he's just being held up by his legs by two of the other vampires. Um, It's it's fantastic. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe's ghost makes a cameo. Um, uh, Watch it. Watch South Park. Um, but yeah, like to be honest, those so that, that's that's pretty much the pop culture. Uh, it's uh, a, a vampire boy floating in front of a window. That is the impact that the made for TV Salem's Lot movie had on pop. Culture. I think it's even. Um, uh, I think it was in the Shutter like top one hundred scariest. Mo- I feel like it's it was in still, there. It's, I, it, it, it weirds me out, especially with things like you know the the later made for TV. Stephen King things like, you know, uh, Rose Red, Storm of the Century, mm-hmm. and The Stand, The Remake of The Shining, it's still listed as one of the most scariest moments to ever happen on TV. Yeah, which is weird because otherwise, yeah, otherwise I was thinking, I don't think there's really much pop culture about this. Compared to Carrie, and then next there's going to be The Shining. The Shining, the Shining, I think the ones that are going to have just so much reference is The Shining and Stand By Me. They have just a lot of pop culture influence. But yeah, yeah, that, that's the pop culture influence is that scene is so impactful that it's popped up everywhere. Yeah, no, for sure. So I think that's, that's pretty much... You know, uh, I'm going to take one last look at my notes here and see if I missed anything. But, I mean, there's the Matt and Jason Burke thing, so I don't know. I, I did look it up, and it's Jason Burke and the movie Jason and Matt Burke. Burke. Okay, thank God. Yeah. You know, the only, thing yeah, I wanted to, the only thing I wanted to note was that uh, Evie's Rooms, which is where he stayed at, Evie's Rooms, which is like, it's, it's one of those things where it looks like it was a, 
I don't know. It was like a house or something like that. But, um, it, you know, it's just run by Evie, this older lady. And uh, I was just like, is there anything left like this at, at all? I, I don't know. You know, I think it was instead of staying at a motel or a rental house, it's just like six or seven rooms and she makes breakfast or, or she supplies breakfast for, and they make, you know, and I, I don't know. Is there anything like that in Europe? And if there are in the United States, it's probably only in big cities, not small towns. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's, I don't know. That was, so other than that, um, that's pretty much it. Although I have to note uh, an interesting development, which is when I watched this, did not really enjoy it that much. But it's been like eight or nine months. And it it's kind of feels like it's growing on me again. Like, I enjoyed it. But I feel like it's this false narrative I, I feel like i'm feeling like i enjoyed it more than i did you know i i don't know so it's 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 one of those interesting things i'm gonna yeah. give it a one out of five stars to be honest i didn't like it uh i the source material is good and then the movie just wasn't i'm gonna give it uh i'm gonna give it a two two and a, i'm gonna give it a two and a half i think partially because it, it's not my favorite novel anymore but it's such a good novel why do we not have uh because carrie it's not. How many it's not a good, they done of Carrie? And like you've got three. Yeah. And no, maybe more. I don't know. Yeah. There's the two theatrical ones, and there's the TV one, mm-hmm. and then there's the Rage Carrie too. But yeah. Uh, but I mean, okay. And you've gotten two kind, both made for TV of Salem's Lot. I know, and I'm like, and partially because it's the length, but um, it's such a good. Such a good novel. It's so much better novel than Carrie. I'm just, I'm just gonna say I don't I don't think Carrie's a good story. I don't think it's a good book. I don't think it's a good movie. Um, I think you eventually you get a good adaptation of Carrie, but I just don't I don't I don't think it's good. Um, but uh, I don't know. Anyway, I don't even remember what my point was. But uh, Carrie sucks. <laughs> you had started with explaining why why you were giving this movie a two uh, oh and yeah two and a half because it's just it's just uh, it's 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 my favorite no it's it's a top five Stephen King book for me and I don't know I think it's just any any adaptation of it I'm gonna get some enjoyment out of it um, but that's otherwise it would probably be a two but I'll give it a two. Well, that's what we had to say about Salem's Lot. Um, next, well, when we get to it. Uh, we'll be putting together some YouTube content. Uh, we're starting with uh, making the first recipe from the Capsule Rock Kitchen that we're going to do, which is from Salem's Lot, uh, Mac Burke's Bolognese, or Jason, Jason Burke, Burke's if you want to go with the movie. And, um, and other than that, we're going to be putting out uh, The Shining will be the next one that we do, uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um, but other than that, yeah, just... Uh, we hope you enjoy and keep listening. That, yeah, that's it. Uh, no content 19 this week, but a creep show shirt that I got at TJ uh, Maxx. But hey, did you good, find that at TJ Maxx? I know, so weird, but it's it's awesome. And yeah, so we're not there yet, but but okay, but content 19, uh, which I realized I didn't. K A dash T E T one nine. Uh, check it out eventually. Eventually, maybe they'll uh, give me some free shit. Just trying to speak it into existence. Exactly. exactly. And this is uh, Johnny Pastel alongside Dave Pastel. Good evening. Signing off. Good luck. Thanks. <laughs>